Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi everyone, I'm David. I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon, and you should too. Don't you want to keep this great content coming? So you know what to do. Go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon and just do it. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And you know that Mo is here. Hey, everybody. We are living in a world of sequels and reboots that tend to be flops compared to the originals, <laughs> but that's not how it has to be, and we have proof. In this episode, we remember follow-ups, spin-offs, updates, and sequels that were ultimately superior to those originals from our Gen X childhood. Well, with some debate. We have our proof. Yeah, I don't know if it's definitive proof. I'm not sure that we have legal proof in any shape of the law and order universe <laughs> yeah, exactly. definition. <laughs> Is it definitive proof? <laughs> Will it hold up in a court of law? We don't know. Uh, Some of them could be debatable, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, any one of these topics could be its own backtrack. I think so. Right. I was actually inspired by this one. The Our friends over at the Project Gen X podcast, Alan and Big Day, back in February, they did an episode about remakes, covers, and sequels, where they talked about some of their favorites and how some of them were superior. In this one, though, we're going to kind of take their idea, but we're going to stretch it out into our typical show topics. We're going to talk about not just movies that have superior sequels. We're talking about TV shows, technology, and games, where the follow-up, in many cases, were better than the original that we remember growing up as a kid. (laughs) Before we get into that, though, it is time for some fourth listener email. And the fourth listener this episode is Ted. Uh, Ted writes in with the subject line, Long Distance Phone Calls. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. This is Ted the teddy bear from the movies, so Ted 2 is superior to Ted 1? No, not, not the talking Teddy bear. This is an actual human fourth listener named Ted. (laughs) Ted says, obviously in reference to the backtrack just from a few weeks back. Wow, this episode struck a nerve. I can remember my (laughs) penny-pinching Scottish mother keeping track of the exact scent that I and my siblings owed each month to the penny. Mm. (laughs) Much like George's mom did after he got that $1,300 phone bill. Yeah, really. There were some tracks laid down. They were on my behind rather than keeping track of... (laughs) (laughs) They were mostly parallel. Some of them askew. Yeah, they were red welts. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Uh, Ted goes on to say, the trauma of that experience meant that later when I joined the Canadian Army, I wanted to phone my girlfriend or family from home from remote bases. The discovery of something known as the Central Switched Network, equivalent of the U.S. Department of Defense Switched Network, that connected the entire set of training bases across the country 
free of charge. Oh. Yeah. Oh, nobody ever clued me into this, I guess, because I wasn't in the Canadian military. So I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he says, all you had to do was know your army base switchboard local, ask to be connected to the switchboard at the base closest to where you wanted to call. Once connected to the distant base, you simply ask their operator for a line out. In a few seconds, you were connected long distance across the country, free of charge, magic and cheap. Mm. Well, you, you could have used that, George. I think uh, I could have used that I for my. could have <laughs> used it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it might, it might be cheaper to join a military and do that. <laughs> it certainly would have been less painful. Boot camp would have been less painful than the suffering that he went through. After right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Ted wraps it up saying, love the pod. Look forward to a new one each week. Cheers, Ted. Oh, that's cool. cool Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that you wrote in, Ted. We're glad that you enjoyed the long distance uh, phone call backtrack. We, we really like, especially when our backtracks resonate with people and get them thinking and remembering stuff. That's awesome. Uh, hey, if you would like your email featured here on the show, it is easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We'll read every single one. And most of them, like Ted's, eventually will make the show. All right, it's time to dig in and find out what sequels we have found that were better than our Gen X originals right after this break. Stick around. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. There's movement all over the place. Five meters, man. Four. Aliens. This time, it's war. Sequels or follow-ups better than the original? Moe's already been grumbling at me. Hmm, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with him on this first category. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that they're better, but yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, huh, yeah. Okay. There's some debate to be had both ways. Yeah. I You're agree. right. Yeah, better is subjective. I, I think in each case, the ones we've selected, there is a strong argument why you might say that something is superior to the original. This is not to denigrate the, like, the sanctity of the original or the fact that it laid the groundwork for something, but and I'll get things rolling. I'll show you what I mean. I'm not afraid to kill my own favorite children here. I love the Terminator franchise, even the bad ones. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the perfect pick for that, even though he wasn't the first pick to play the mm -hmm. T-800. And as much as I enjoy Terminator, the indie, super low budget film, you would be hard pressed to convince me that Terminator 2 is not a better complete package film. It's better writing. It has a better story. It expands on the original Terminator and makes it a broader universe. Terminator 2 is a film that I went back in the theater and saw two or three times. And every time I saw it was wowed by just what they had accomplished. George, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
So you're not wrong with your sentiments that Terminator 2 is a broader scoped story. Yeah. It definitely has some different writing styles. I'm not going to say better or worse in the writing because it's they're both very good. I definitely think what Terminator 2 did way better than Terminator 1 was all in the special effects category. Right. The special oh, effects sure. of T2, for sure. for sure. groundbreaking. To this day, they still look good and mm-hmm. hold up. I can't necessarily say that about all the special effects in Terminator 1. Yeah, they still have some of the, the uh, stop motion stuff. and Yeah, that Harryhausen yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. To me, it boils down to the characters themselves. I think the character evolution of the main heroine was mm-hmm. much better in Terminator two than she was oh, in yeah. the damsel in distress in Terminator one. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do like Michael Bean's character better than Robert Patrick's character, which is kind of the swap on that line. I think mm-hmm. Michael Bean's character is way better than Robert Patrick, even though John's shaking his head. I could never palette Bean in that role. He just seemed miscast. Didn't like really? him. Really? No. I thought he did really well in that. Anyway, yeah. I liked how Arnold Schwarzenegger kept his same deadpan. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger in a big suit (laughs) character. (laughs) It was natural. He became lovable. And I think that the writing that you talked about, that's why it was different in Terminator 2. They had to really change things up Mm -hmm. to make you like that character that you hated so much from the first film. Yeah. That was the big twist at the beginning of Terminator 2, Mm -hmm. you know? And and I'm not going to disagree with many of your points other than the fact that I didn't care for Bean, but... I think if you put a chart and you said which film did it better, I think there's plenty of things that Terminator was a grittier film. Yes. It was tighter and a smaller and more personal film, whereas Terminator mm-hmm. 2 was more global. And yeah. you know, there are things in tick boxes on in favor of both films. And, and I, I'm not, this is not a money thing. Clearly Terminator 2 had a bigger box office. It did oh, better. Yeah. Had a bigger budget too. Yeah. For me, Terminator 2 is a film that holds up so much better as a total package. That's why I presented it as my, as a candidate for something where the sequel in many ways improved upon the, maybe not surpassed, but improved on many categories. I don't disagree with anything either of you said, actually. I don't know if I would say Terminator 2 is necessarily a better movie because I like both. I think both of them are outstanding quite honestly. And you could like both. That's okay. Yeah. The first Terminator to me was just maybe it's because it was groundbreaking as far as the storyline and the concepts and stuff that it was new stuff. Basically Terminator 2 was sort of built on that, which is, you know, and and I can see that kind of debate on there. Although absolutely, I have to agree that Terminator 2, I think that the special effects, obviously huge, huge difference. And the fact that the story, because I was trying to figure out like, how are they going to make a Terminator 2 that's interesting? That's worthwhile. Like they just did everything in Terminator. It was awesome, right? What did now what? But the evolution of the main character, mm-hmm. how she changed from being a damsel distressed to being basically a badass. <laughs> yep. But in a believable way, though, like you totally bought it. You know, there was no debate in that. But I think generally people like Terminator 2 better just overall, I'm sure, for those reasons. The reason why I can say I can be okay with saying that Terminator 2 is better than Terminator 1 is you don't get four or five more films without Terminator 2. Terminator 1 was great and it bought you the second film, but it didn't buy you the third, the fourth or the fifth films. Mm -hmm. If you don't have Mm -hmm. Terminator 2, there's no studio in Hollywood that's going to go Terminator 3, Terminator 4. Here's Mm -hmm. the girl Mm -hmm. in the red suit Terminator. Here's the you're not going to (laughs) have. have any of that Terminator in space Terminator 2 because 
while Terminator became a cult classic, Terminator two became a box office blast. Yeah. It was, that's huge. what made it a franchise. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what made it huge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mo, what about you? So you're not so sure about my Terminator. What would no. you posit is, is another movie? So we're talking films in this segment. Yeah, yeah. What is a movie you think where the sequel was better than the original? And I think I'm on pretty safe ground with this one. Okay. Remember how excited I was when the Star Trek, the motion picture came out, you know, when they came out with the original crew <laughs> and I remember seeing it and hating the uniforms hating the, you know, the whole thing that it was the Voyager spacecraft. Are you kidding me? Then they came out with The Wrath of Khan, and I'm like, this is a great movie. I can see this over and over. And, and so you're back on board with Star Trek. Yeah. I would argue that the Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, was far superior to the first Star Trek. There's, I don't even know why we're continuing to talk about it. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. There is no debate. We've had this in a debate episode, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan is by far the best film film of the classic Star Trek mm -hmm. character films. I think it's even better than four or six, which we all know the history of the Star Trek films. The, the even numbered odds, ones are good. Yeah. The odds suck. Right. <laughs> but I think this is the best even numbered film in the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, there's not much debate here. We just each take five minutes to pat Mo on the back for a good choice, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Star Trek, the motion picture is one that I just can't go back and rewatch. No. Especially they'll do extended director's cut. No, no, we don't no, need more no, of that. No. It was no, no. already extended way too Can far. Can we pare it down? I need the condensed director's cut, right. please. It's just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we watch the Cliff Notes version of the motion picture? It's like they were so in love with the special effects they were doing that they wanted to just leisurely showcase them. And what it ended up being was just a, a, a obvious 70s showcase of the special effects that are super dated now and not as much character work. Mm, yeah. Now, the good news is that a lot of the pieces from the motion picture got recycled into characters of the next generation later. I mean, like Ilea became, you know, Betazoid, the empath thing, whatever. And we could, that's a whole Star Trek stories. As you said, we could dig into a whole, a whole episode <laughs> about this. But yeah, Wrath of Khan is just, even if it's not a Star Trek film, it is a great, great film. film about yep. revenge and, and hatred and loyalty and, and, oh, and awesome. repercussions of decisions. And, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I said the only thing I liked about the original one was uh, when they showed the Enterprise, like the very the first sweeping like, moment. Yeah, yeah, but even but that, that was like, like that was my favorite part. Where, you know, you show me that for 30 seconds. I'm good with that. But <laughs> yeah. four and a half minutes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> was it that long? Enough I know it was already. Long. I don't know how long it was, but it felt it was, like it was four felt, and a half yeah. hours. Yeah, definitely. That did. one part. All right. So good. I, I made a good choice. So let's see, George, <laughs> you made a good choice too, I'm assuming, right? I did not. No, I did not make a good choice at all. Mine falls squarely in the John Terminator, Terminator 2 line of logic. I picked aliens as being better than alien, and I'm still not even convinced myself. Oh, that's a tough Because one. alien, okay. it's a groundbreaking film. It's awesome. The character development throughout the whole thing. I honestly remember seeing the first one and not knowing who was going to be the final person, not right. figuring out who was going to be the lead sure. until two thirds of the way through that movie mm -hmm. when everybody else was already dead anyway. Yeah. <laughs> aliens, however, much larger in scope, just like Terminator 2, much bigger in special effects effects it still holds up today with a lot of those special mm -hmm. effects oh yeah for sure i enjoyed the juxtaposition of the android characters versus in the first film versus the second one right. first film you didn't see that coming when they smacked right. oh, his that was, head that was, off that blew me away when that happened right second <laughs> film you expected him to be batshit crazy evil the whole way through and then they flipped the script again mm 
mm-hmm. and he was like really i did good when he's like half a body or some shit about to you know about mm-hmm. to be ripped up by the alien queen <laughs> the alien queen herself that was great to see that i thought they did a great job with it mm-hmm. so much so that even to this day i'm sad that the little girl character oh, that that actress didn't do too much more after that movie yeah yeah there's a lot of parallels i think you're right between this alien franchise and the terminator franchise in many ways i think like the third and fourth ones were hmm interesting where are you mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. the first one was a groundbreaking kind of gritty small film that felt very intimate and the sequel was a huge larger in scope film in, in both cases I, th- I think probably for me i don't know that i would say either of them is better i see those two as a cohesive pair where they're really kind of symbiotic they're very different stories in the same universe they belong to each other i kind of enjoy them both equally but i mean you might lean toward aliens i can see the argument because it's a bigger there's more to see it's a larger movie there's more happening i agree and to me also it's like alien versus aliens were two different types of movies alien was a suspense thriller like a horror thriller thing right right? the first one yeah right it ratcheted up the tension just constantly Mm -hmm. in that one like the thing alien was like the thing almost exactly it was a slow burn tension movie Whereas Aliens was more of an action thriller kind of movie. Mm -hmm. It was. I love them both. If I go back and say, which one have I watched more? I probably have watched Aliens more than I've watched Alien. But I still go back and watch Alien. So right, it's not sure. like I never go back. I just, I probably have seen Aliens, especially with that when they had a director's cut of that one. I definitely watched that one, which actually made a lot more sense than the cut versions. Boy, they didn't know how to edit films back then, did they? <laughs> <laughs> it's evident when you see those re-edits, yeah. Also, you understand why she was so attached to the little girl and all that stuff, whereas the original cut, you had no idea. You yeah, know? when you see the extra footage and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, so I would have to say Aliens was probably a better movie just because I probably have re-watched it more often than I've rewatched Alien. Fair enough. Okay, so those are some films that we felt that potentially the sequel, the follow-up, were better than the original. We get back in the next segment, we're going to look at TV series, where the follow-up TV series was arguably better than the one that inspired the sequel. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Mattel introduces the Battlestar Galactica collection. You can imagine the world of Battlestar Galactica, where the Cylon Raider meets the Colonial Viper starship you assemble. Colonial Viper pilot ready for takeoff. Cylon's approaching. Check stabilizers. Load laser torpedo. Cylon Raider missile base open. Cylon Raider launch. Colonial Viper launch. Colonial Viper and Cylon Raider vehicles from the Battlestar Galactica collection, each sold separately, new from Mattel. We're moving on now to look at television shows, TV series, where the follow-up or remake or spin-off series was better than the one that inspired it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in advance of this show, George was on vacation at Disney, enjoying with his family, and Mo and I are trying to do a little research together. And we were looking at these experiences 
expansive lists. Oh my god! Of spinoffs and, and series like that <laughs> from TV shows from the seventies, eighties. Oh, oh my god! Like thirty-seven Law and Order series. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, that was his own yeah. Wikipedia page. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let me tell you how easy it is to find a great show with a shitty spinoff. Those are easy to find. There are yeah. lots of those. Matter of fact, that could be a backtrack unto itself. Right. right. There's tons of those, <laughs> but there were very few series we could find where there was a follow-up that wasn't, if not equal, better. Right. Just, there were so few of them, right? We found a bunch that were both good. Both good. Yeah, both good. Right. Like, we mm-hmm. saw Cheers and Frasier. Oh, good. Cheers and Frasier. Exactly. Sure. Both good shows. Yeah. Oh, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. Oh, yeah, we like both of those. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, right? Both right. fun shows, both great shows, right? It was tough to find those. But try to find one that had a better sequel was mm-hmm. near impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest. But even before George headed off for vacation, he had a nominee for this category that I oh, think yeah. is spot on. So George, why don't you tell us your first suggestion for that TV sequel, Better Than the OG? Yeah, so I am a child of the 70s and especially the late 70s sci-fi TV shows that were coming out around that time. So you got shows like Buck Rogers in the 25th century, Mm -hmm. which we've talked an awful lot about. You got other shows that were a little bit earlier on, like Space 1999, which was a favorite of mine as I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But there's not too many science fiction primetime evening TV shows that have a larger history behind them than Battlestar Galactica. Oh, Lauren Green. <laughs> Lauren Green, Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict. I mean, those original actors, that original, the brown flight jackets mm-hmm. and the chromed uh, Cylons. and the, the monkey in the dog suit. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff, yeah, too. Right. <laughs> and the vaguely Egyptian helmets that they the had. The vaguely Egyptian yeah. helmets, the, yeah. the little robot dog, Boxy, or whatever his name was. I mean, it was a fun series when I was a kid. Then around the early 2000s, some dumbass yep. got the idea that they were going to remake my series. <laughs> And I was pissed when I heard about it. Damn you, Ronald D. Moore. What are you doing? Oh, holy shit. Dirk Benedict's character, Starbuck, is going to be a woman now? Are you out of your goddamn <laughs> mind? What are you telling me? No way. Uh, Boomer, the character who was kind of the, you know, like the fourth wheel on the original series. Now he's going to be a major character. It's also a woman. What the hell are you doing <laughs> to my series? Oh, my God. The Cylons are going to be, they look human. What the hell is the point then of a Cylon? Yeah, right. Those are cool robots with red eyes. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The eye blew back and forth. I mean, come on. However, <laughs> I didn't watch the Battlestar Galactica remake for the first three years of its incarnation. I didn't start watching it until it was in its fourth season. Just on principle? Just, Just on principle. Yeah. I was like, fuck you. I'm not watching this. Wow. Even hearing everyone talk about it, you resisted, huh? I was so pissed. I was so wrong. I, I can't even begin to plumb the depths of how inept my analysis was without having watched that show. Yeah. It was incredible. The yeah, it was. remake of Battlestar Galactica is so far superior to the original and don't get me wrong i love the original i'm not bashing my original show i still love it to this day you give me a richard hatch lunchbox and i am happy as a clam (laughs) but that remake was so much better it was so much more gripping and engrossing and so 
the stakes were raised so much more, the tension Mm -hmm. to this day, there is a line from the second reimagining. So say we all Mm -hmm. right. And there was the very first time we saw that being really thrown at us was Edward James almost, you know, he's in the winger, the hangar bay and the people are dead and they're doing the speech and they're like, we're going to go find earth. So say we all, and everybody's, ah, so say we all, you know, I remember going to my first infinity con and they had the Battlestar Galactic people there, including Edward James Olmos. Oh, nice. And when they did their panel, he got up at the end of the panel and led the entire room in that So Say We All chant. Oh, really? <laughs> and even still thinking about it now brings a tear to my eye. I love that series and that line so much. The original series, great. Don't get me wrong. Never brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. This, <laughs> there are scenes that I watch in this thing now when certain people die or things happen to them, and I'm bawling like a little child. Yeah, let me tell you, you're spot on. I mean, I love the 70s series also. I remember watching mm-hmm. it every time it came on and and the whole idea that, oh, that's where people came from, you know, like you right. know, because of all right. the similarities. Yeah. I just thought that was just like, that just blew my brain. The 12 tribes of man yeah, trekking across the universe. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it just, it just blew my brain. But I just, when I heard the new series was coming out, I just, thinking of like the original 70s one, I'm like, that was kind of corny though. I mean. It didn't hold up well. Yeah. Like they didn't talk about real problems really that would exist in that kind of situation. But let me tell you, the new one, like I said, it's just the character development, everything just, yep. it was just great. You know, the problems that they had with like just trying to find water. Remember that whole mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. on that? Yep. yep. And that took several episodes to get that. That was a direct episode from the first one. They yeah. had to go to an ice planet in the first one. But not nearly as... But you they just did it better. How how important that was. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it was just so, so much better. Just little scenes in the original versus the new. The new one, you're talking about the water one. There's a scene where Edward James almost has to shave dry. Right. Yeah. And it's just 20 seconds, right? That's all it is on screen. But the pain and the anguish and the cut face and everything <laughs> that he comes out with, you didn't get anything like that in the original yeah. series that yeah. brought it down to that human, everyday life torturing kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that also I have no debate. I watched the original, not religiously. I probably haven't seen every episode of the Lauren Green series, but I enjoyed w- watching it when I was a kid, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it didn't stick with me like a Greatest American Hero or something, I, like a touchstone mm. that I really loved. So when I heard about Battlestar Galactica reimagining, I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was on board, but I wasn't off board. I wasn't like avoiding it like you were. Right. And it was probably two seasons in or something when I finally got around to it. It might have even been you, Mo, that suggested I watch it. Maybe yeah. you loan me the DVDs, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and it started with like a like a mini series, like four episodes or something first to watch. And uh, I watched that, watched the whole thing, all four hours or whatever it was yeah. by myself. And then I went and I told my wife, I'm like, you have got to see <laughs> this show. She's like, I don't like Battlestar Galactic. I'm yeah, like, the, shut up and sit down. Yeah. You have got to see this show. It's not what you're thinking. And she is maybe a bigger fan than I am. So yeah. Yeah. You can make the same argument that the original was grittier and laid the groundwork and the second one was bigger scope and everything. But in this case, that doesn't no. hold up because it, no. they're just... This is so much head and shoulders above yeah. the original. I think it's a winner. Good pick, though, George. Yeah, Absolutely. very good Battlestar Galactia. Yeah, in the 2000s, no doubt. So I have one that I'm going to nominate that I think there is definitely some debate about. However, in, in a lesser degree, just like the Battlestar Galactica comparison, in my mind, certainly the follow-up superior to the original. Well, I'm going to make some nerds mad, and that's okay. You can write in and tell me how wrong I am. I don't mind. <laughs> I was going to say, they're already got their pin sharpened from the last one that we brought right, up. Yep. Huge Star Trek fans, all three of us. George and I met in a sci-fi Star Trek club years and years ago, decades ago now. Wow, decades ago. You're saying that? 
How's that feel saying? Yeah. Love the original Star Trek. However, Star Trek The Next Generation, I will posit, is a better overall series, a complete package than the original Star Trek was. Gene Roddenberry laid the groundwork, established Mm -hmm. the mythos in the original, but the characterizations, the stories, the personal kind of threads of continuing stories that go on that have, again, you would not have 20 more shows today based on the original Star Trek, but what TNG did, what it laid out, its storytelling methods, really, in many ways, especially for me, were superior to what I saw in the original series. Mo, what do you think? You know, I'm going to make an admission here, which is really tough for me, but- Okay. I actually agree with you. I think the next generation was better. Why is it tough for you to agree with John? Usually it's tough for you to agree because with me. Because I love the original series. I, To me, the original series is Star Trek. That's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I didn't really watch a lot of the next generation. Now, I would say that the first season of next generation. First couple seasons are weak. Was, for were sure. very weak. And I would say yeah. that. And I kind of stopped watching after that. But because they had time and they did the whole syndicated route, which saved them, I think. Mm-hmm. They were able to come up and really do major character development and really get into what Star Trek is about, which is about characters. Mm-hmm. It's not really about the science. It's about the people, right? That's really what we get down to. And I think right. after the third season, they really were able to come into their own and really develop some pretty amazing stories that were definitely better, I think, than the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're waiting for me, I'm going to say there's no point because it's absolutely TNG is better than TOS. <laughs> so you agree across the board. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up watching TOS in reruns. It came out and ended before I was born, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a great series. Don't get me wrong. I love James Kirk. I love Spock. I love Dick Kelly, but that's the only characters that were really major plot points in the series. Yeah, that's all they had. Yeah, it was the big three in many cases yeah. of TOS all the time. Yeah, you know, you had Scotty here and there. You might have had an Uhura thing or a checkoff or a Sulu thing here and there. Sulu doing his fencing with his shirt off might have been an issue or something. But (laughs) with TNG, I don't think it's because you got seven seasons versus three. I think TNG really set out with a mindset and Roddenberry was right on board in the beginning two seasons of TNG. So don't, you know, don't get it twisted. This was his show as well. It started off with the focus of let's develop this universe and these characters. They set out to make a far grander and more superior show than the original one. And he did it because the difference that he had with the original series versus TNG, the original series was beholden to one network and those network execs. TNG was syndicated and they weren't beholden Mm -hmm. to anybody because Paramount gave him free reign. They said, shit, we know this thing got screwed up back in the 60s. We're going to give you a (laughs) run here in the 90s and let you do what you want. And, you know, I'm sad that Roddenberry passed before he got to see all seven seasons, but I thought Berman and the rest of the people, Pilar and all those guys, Mm -hmm. I thought they carried on his vision really well. It's the same thing we talk about with Terminator. You don't have Terminator 2. You don't have four or five more films. You don't have Mm -hmm. TNG. You don't have DS9. You don't have Voyager. You don't have Discovery. You don't have Lower Decks. You don't have any of the Star Trek stuff that you have now. Right. And and all those things are mostly focused around the world created by the next generation, which pays kind of like respect back to the original series, but really the touchstone, the center focus of like everything in the, the entire Star Trek franchise now is based around the storytelling methods they built in the next generation. And that's paid off. And you yeah. wouldn't have Battlestar Galactica, arguably the reboot without Ronald D. Moore that came out yep. of the Star Trek machine right. and oh, learned did. the storytelling oh, in I that. Yeah. That. And he, he went and built okay. it. So one we can agree on across the board. Somebody call <laughs> Ripley. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about games where the sequel or follow-up game we think was superior to the original. So stick around. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Hey, Joey, what's she really like? She's the most exciting woman I ever met. Atari introduces the woman of the year, Ms. Pac-Man. Just like the arcade classic, four different game screens, floating fruit, even pretzels. Now we're talking about games that we enjoyed, Gen X era games, where the original was great. We loved it. However, the sequel came along and surprisingly blew the first one out of the water, or at least was superior in some way or another. And, you know, we said that anything we talk about here could probably could be blown into an entire show. Well, oddly enough, George, your first pick, we had an entire show about just last week. We celebrated the 40th anniversary of one of your favorite arcade games just a little while ago. And in many ways, it was superior to its original. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously talking about Galaga versus Mm -hmm. the original Galaxian. I will say that I didn't put this on the list. This was put on the list for me, and I'm still okay (laughs) with it um, because it's a mandatory. It fits the category of the backtrack, which is a sequel that is far superior than the original. Uh, Galaxian's a great game. Don't get me wrong. I still go back and play Galaxian every now and then because it's a fun little game. Galaga is just better at everything it does. It's a better shooter. It has better enemies. It has a more diverse system. It has the statistics. Every part of Galaga is better than Galaxian. Yeah. All right. Next. (laughs) (laughs) right we could talk and talk about the reasons that it's better i mean you're right the challenging stage and the stats and the engagement Mm -hmm. and all that frankly i'll say just go back one in the list and listen to the last episode and you'll you'll learn all about why galaga is better than galaxian i don't think there's a lot of debate there while we're on the topic of arcade games so i have one to nominate and some people who are purists might say that i'm wrong here but i'm gonna say that pac-man as huge as a hit as Pac-Man is, was even today, its follow-up, which started as a hack of the game, Miss mm-hmm. Pac-Man, right. is across the board a better arcade game experience. I'm going to agree. Yeah, me yeah, too. Okay. Me too. Yeah, because, all right, so Pac-Man, you're right. Pac-Man is an incredible game. There's a reason why it's in the top one or two every single arcade mm-hmm. golden era list pac-man sure. has to be up there i say pac-man donkey kong they're kind of tied for me as the number one number two games uh, we all know galaga is my favorite but yep. if i'm objective about it those are the two bigs right okay yep. miss pac-man though you get new mazes now yeah you get different patterns mm-hmm. from the ghost i mean the gameplay is still very similar you know you eat pellets you eat the big pellet you get to eat the ghost you eat fruits that's all the same right but mm-hmm tunnels going across the screen i'd never seen that 
you know, the right. little warp things letting you go from one side of the screen to the other. Yeah, it's in different places. Yeah, moving yeah, fruit, yeah, yeah. the fruit you talked about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, one thing I would say about both those games, what made it better, it's like when they take the the heart of the original and keep it and just add enough variety mm-hmm. to do it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the sequel mm-hmm. games that came out, like I remember Deluxe Asteroids. They had Asteroids yeah. that came out with Deluxe Asteroids. It was just overly complicated. It really wasn't any more fun than the original. You know, they lost the concept of the first game. And I think both of these, like Galaxian the Galaga or Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man, are just, you just seem like natural, better evolutions of the original games. Well, I think they weren't frivolous with their changes. You look at the Galaga right. line, right? So Galaxian, great. Galaga, way better, as we just talked about. But then you get into games like Galaga 3 or Galpus, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, or Galaga 88. Mm-hmm. And they tried to do the same thing bigger bolder now you get three ships now you can capture yeah. the enemies now you know and it was just too cumbersome that's why you don't have the giant high scores on twin galaxies for those yeah. games that you do for a galaga or for a miss pac-man there are big high scores on miss pac-man on twin galaxies oh, for a yeah. reason oh, because yeah. it's a Absolutely. super popular game yep. and to this day i mean like i said in that galaga episode which one got a class of cabinet? Pac-Man didn't get a class of 80 cabinet, yep. but Miss Pac-Man True. got a class of 81 cabinet. Side by side with Galaga, the yeah. other one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's just so much about it that makes it, at least for me, it feels more fair. It's more replayable. It's mm-hmm. It feels brighter. The sounds are a little brighter. You know, there's mm-hmm. little tweaks to it that Pac-Man is a classic. And if it's there, I will play it because it's Pac-Man. I'm going to play it. But objectively, which one do I enjoy more? Miss Pac-Man every day of the week. Yep. I have one quarter, it's going to Miss Pac-Man because it's just a more balanced, fun game with more variety, more maps, the bouncing fruit, all the things that you've mentioned. Yeah. Another one we agree on. What's going on? Here? <laughs> I remember when uh, Ms. Pac-Man came out, pretty much everyone stopped playing Pac-Man for the most part. Yeah. I know I did. Yeah. Because yeah. it was everything I loved about Pac-Man and more. I didn't right, lose exactly. anything. Exactly. You didn't feel like you lost any Pac-Man feel. It from kept the heart, it. just like you said, Mo, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now, George, you have one on the list here that is a computer game that we mm-hmm. played in our youth, not super young, but we were uh, early 20s that we played on the computer and then it got a better sequel. Yeah. This is not a Gen X specific era sequel type of situation here. This is... As I was in my 20s, my early 20s, mm-hmm. we were in our Star Trek club that you mentioned earlier, John. We were still babies. We were still babies. Decades ago. It was when <laughs> oh! video games were, <laughs> they were first getting into showing actual video footage on a PC. Mm-hmm. That was a very rare commodity. You remember it was like 320 by 180 screens. Right. And it was multimedia PC, <laughs> CD-ROM. <laughs> And it was debatable as to whether or not that would even count as video in some cases, more as just moving still images, Yeah, really. But lo and behold, there was a game series that it only had two games in the entire franchise. And oddly enough, the sequel that I'm going to propose as being better killed the series and they never went back to it. And that's (laughs) Phantasmagoria. Uh The original Phantasmagoria game had full motion in the sense that they filmed actors on green screens and then put them into computer sets. So very much like when I talked uh, last week about going to Walt Disney World, remember Journey into Imagination, you could go onto the green screen and be in the movie itself, right? Mm-hmm. You could, you know, yep. they tell you jump now and run this way in place and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what Phantasmagoria was. The storyline was okay, but you could tell the girl was on a green screen being directed and told what to do and what to react to. And it was <laughs> not good. It really, like, it doesn't hold up. Kind of like a Mortal Kombat syndrome. It's like, yeah, you were an actor, but you're clearly inside of a game now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) However, just shortly thereafter, because full motion video was becoming a thing, 
a company embarked on what I think is one of the best full motion video games of all time. And that's Phantasmagoria 2. So much so that it holds legendary cult-like status in the video game community for people who like full motion videos. There's a YouTube channel right now, Chats with Curtis, where the lead actor from that video (laughs) game who didn't realize how much of a cult status the game has held up with over the years. Somebody clued him into it just a year or so ago, and he's got a YouTube channel now talking (laughs) with the people and doing this. Somebody Mm. made a web-based version of the game that you can play now. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Puzzle of the flesh. I don't know how we first found it. Maybe it was back when you just, you go to the store and see what's out there. It was, it was a big box find, I think. Yeah. Go by the nice covers. And it had a weird, like, the cover looks like a guy ripping his chest open and there's a puzzle piece inside or something right. think, like that looks interesting <laughs> and this was back when you and i were just hanging out just like young mm-hmm. pups in our 20s one of our first pcs we'd moved on from amiga to pc and we like let's give this game a try it's full motion video maybe we'll see boobs who knows we'll check it right. out <laughs> <laughs> and it and by the way we did so it worked out but yes <laughs> it was such a surprising story with like mind fuckery going on and mm. paranormal stuff happening this poor schlub nothing like the original was like hey look we're a game like mist but full motion video yeah phantasmagoria 2 puzzle of flesh was more like hey look we're immersing you in a movie kind of as best we can with the technology but they actually had an interesting story it wasn't super deep but it had enough twists that make you go oh is that what this kind of entertainment could be yeah it was one of the first full motion video decision making games that i can say sure. really yeah. grabbed a hold of me but one of the best parts of the game when we were sitting there playing it for the very first time john it was me you and another one of our friends from the star trek club and we're playing it you were at the controls and you were controlling everything and me and the other guy we're standing over your shoulders left and right and we're all deciding what to do next together and everything there's this one scene where your character goes into his office cubicle he sits down at his computer and he has to start working and he's had some rough days already you know he's a little sleep deprived and a little tired (laughs) and we're sitting there and you're doing things on your computer you're reading emails and you're uh, (laughs) logging into your web server of your company whatnot Anyway, out of the corner of my eye, I was sitting on John's right shoulder. Never forget it. There's a little tree folder structure of the emails and stuff like that. Yep. And I saw something flinch. And that's the only way I, that's the only word I can use to describe it. I saw something flinch on the side of the screen. And so I started looking at that side of the screen and one of the email titles, I think it was like, you know, like, uh, come to this meeting, blah, 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 whatever. And then just for a like a split second, it said, there will be blood. I went, what the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) And you eat flesh. What? What What do you mean I eat flesh? What is that? Your dad killed your mother. What? What What the hell? (laughs) These file names just started changing and going back. Like they would just flash to the weird cryptic whatever message and then flash right back. So if you weren't watching it, you missed it. But you probably cornered your eye probably. And I pointed it out to John and I was like, John, look at this. And he's like, what, what, what? It's just a file name. I'm like, no, no. Just watch this for a second. Yeah, keep looking. Yeah. yeah they, they messed with you and they had a lot of fun with that one. It's a shame it didn't progress, but I would say that kind of storytelling it laid the groundwork for like those Telltale style games where mm-hmm, you walk mm-hmm. around the world and yeah. it's not quite fetch quest like Monkey Island. It's more interact with people and talk and get information. It has had spiritual successors, but it's because of, you know, it's like that cult status that Phantasmagoria 2 had that I think game developers said, remember that? Let's do something like that in our game. And that's 
given us some of the like big games, like Life is Strange, those kind of yeah. walk and talk, explore movie right. kind of games. Nice. Yeah. And that's why I think it's better than the original, because nobody looks back at the original and goes, let's do something like that. Nobody's nope. done that in the history of video games <laughs> since. Yep. But Phantasmagoria 2, people have definitely copied that style of game since then. Nice. And that's a little known game, but it's one you can pick up today for a couple of bucks and play. I mean, mm. all the video is probably the whole thing downloads like 500 megs. It's nothing. Right. <laughs> it's nothing these days. Oh my God. How many discs? Yeah, right. Not, it, well, that filled a CD back then, you know, but it's one if you've missed it, go check it out because maybe you didn't know the original even, but the sequel stands on its own well above the original and in its own right, a great game. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. I adore my 64, my Commodore 64. My 64K memory at a price that will put a computer in every home, business, and school years before anyone ever dreamed. I adore my 64, my Commodore 64. The last segment that we're going to look at is technology, mm-hmm. and it has changed a lot, right? We can't deny it. <laughs> but one of the things that I would say is definitely better, and there's going to be a huge amount of arguments on this, I know, is when things went analog to digital. So we went from LPs to CDs, right? We went from VHS to DVD. Yeah. Is there some purists out there that are going to say, oh, you know, the sound fidelity is better? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> My ear is not that sophisticated. You're going to hear that more in the audio category than you are in the video category. I mm-hmm. don't think there's a lot of people saying VHS was far superior to DVD. That's true. Yeah. I can tell you that CDs made music transportable for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was always crystal clear unless you scratch your CD, but records got scratched like all the time. It was non-self-destructive. Yeah. Mm. Well, like you look back, so reel-to-reel, people might say that is the best. That's people mastered on reel-to-reel audio. Great. Analog. Mm-hmm. But okay, I'm going to carry on a reel-to-reel player and how, you know, I can't yeah. put that in the car. That kind <laughs> of thing. strap one to the back of your... You know. Yeah, it's cumbersome. And then we had 8-track, which was literally a self-destructive format. We could do a whole backtrack on 8-track. It drug the tape across the reel, so it was rubbing the magnetic particles off the entire time you used it. LP, I know many purists will say, well, LP is the way to go. And I don't know if I'd argue with you to the death, but it certainly has its benefits. But yeah, when CDs came along, better than cassettes that were getting tangled up in my car deck player, but (laughs) I remember the first time I heard a CD for myself and I put it in and I couldn't believe it. Like I pushed play and I thought I hadn't pushed play right? because there was no no hiss. There was no hiss, right? Mm -hmm. There's none of that. I'm like, did I push play? Did I push boom? And it came out. I'm like, oh my goodness. Is this what things can sound like? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think too, um, with compact discs, when they first came out, just like anything, 
technology. It's got some growing pains in its first stages. So the very first CD portable player, you know, the one you put on your hip, the Sony Discman type of thing, right? Uh, Those skipped like crazy. Yeah, if you breathed on them wrong. But once they figured out buffering, once they figured out how to buffer an amount of time at the beginning, that skipless technology, whatever they called it on the different ones. When they got to that point, that's when I went whole hog into CDs because I'm like, okay, now there's nothing that this can't do better than what the original, because to me, it went from not LP to CD, but from tape to CD. Oh yeah, that's a big jump. And tape to CD, you can say what you want. I, there's no question that CD is far superior to oh, tape. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and go to the video. We're talking about DVDs. I mean, I think you're right, Mo. There's much less debate. Well, I, maybe I'm wrong. I think there's much less debate. <laughs> <laughs> with, with VHS and DVD is not even a high def format, but it, it gave us Blu-ray later, mm-hmm, you know, right. and stuff. Now we're digital, so who cares? We're all digital. But I used to have to scrounge to find a VHS version of a movie that wasn't pan and scan because nobody oh, wanted that. Right, because I went letterbox. But we got to DVDs. There was enough fidelity in the image, still standard definition, but enough fidelity in the image that I could have a widescreen movie. It looked good on a widescreen screen the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that you were only having less than 500 vertical lines lines of resolution or I think at 525 or whatever. Yeah. It's not 1080 like these days, but it still looks so, so much better because those 520 some odd lines were so clean mm-hmm. yeah. and they were precisely replicated every time you played it and it didn't degrade, right? When you paused it, it was a still frame. Yeah. <laughs> I bought every movie I had on VHS on DVD. I was that sucker because it was just so well, much the better. Same thing. Decided, yeah, I did absolutely yeah. same thing. You had to. Because at rewind, no rewinding. I'd say one thing that sold me on DVDs was they started adding all the extra features, the special features and stuff. The extra, mm-hmm. the bonus content bonus content yep. and yep. that was to me i was like i love bonus content director's commentary yeah. oh yeah the commentaries yeah. yes yeah yeah behind the scenes that's great oh my favorite audio commentary is you have to watch this is spinal tap because it's the original three actors doing a commentary in character just gonna put that out there if you haven't <laughs> it's like a sequel to spinal tap you should watch nice it. <laughs> okay uh yeah so we all agree on that one this is an unprecedented several segments where we've had agreement yeah we've had a lot of agreements here so i have a piece of tech that it's a bit of a stretch, admittedly. So I'm going to talk about handheld video gaming systems. Okay. And the original, in my comparison, is the Nintendo Game Boy. All right. So what are you going to the Game Boy Color? Game Boy Advance? Uh, well, I could. I could go there. But where I'm actually going is the Atari Lynx. What? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to call bullshit. Those are two different <laughs> companies, dude. That's not even close. What are you doing? Well, you might think so. Yeah. So I, but- I know they're two different companies. I don't think. <laughs> Nintendo and Atari are two different companies. You might think you have a founded argument until you learn a little more about the Lynx. So okay. they actually were released only two months apart. Game Boy was first and the Lynx came out second. If you're not familiar with the Atari Lynx, I'm not surprised. It died. It lasted about five years and was crushed by Nintendo. You know the Game Boy, little handheld thing, yeah. mm-hmm. black and white screen, shades of gray. Play Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, you can play Pokemon, play Tetris. That came with it. The Atari Lynx came out two months later. It was full color. It was higher resolution. It had a screen that was like four times the size. It had 4,000 colors on the screen. It had scaling sprites. But here's the story you might not know about it. The Atari Lynx was developed by Epix, the software company that we all know that did many great titles back yeah. in the day. Okay, It was called that. the Handy, the Epix Handy, they were going to call it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, the I know. Handy? For many they reasons. They couldn't have come up 
up with a better term than that? Jesus Christ. Now, you know why For it many failed. reasons, they did not stick with the handy. <laughs> oh. So Epics did not have the bank role to release a product like this. They designed it and they designed it for writing software, but that was all they, you know, they're like, we, we really need the backing of somebody else. And so who did they turn to? They took it to Nintendo. Okay. They walked into Nintendo of Japan and they sat in a boardroom and they showed them, here's our technology. Here's how great this is. Here's what it can do. And Nintendo executives sat stone-faced listening to their pitch about the Atari Lynx. And at the end of the meeting, they said, hmm, that's interesting. And they rolled out their in-development, soon-to-be-released Game Boy and said, yeah, we already have this thing. So you were not interested in that thing. So they turned to Atari and sold it. So even though it was better. It was dramatically better. And they recognized it had more capacity It for roughly the same price for components. And I bring it up because it was unceremoniously crushed under the heel of Nintendo on multiple fronts. It could have been their flagship device. They could have said, oh my goodness, this is ready to go to market. It's better than our Game Boy. And coming out two months later, the Game Boy was far inferior the Lynx was way better processing colors. What it didn't have was the backing of Nintendo, who could have had it. But it had Atari. I mean, Atari was not nothing. But this is 89. Well, they were much smaller than Nintendo in the late 80s. Mm, Nintendo had like 80, 90% of the video game market around the world. Atari was, they were just sucking mud. I mean, they were they were trying to launch the Jaguar maybe later and they just, oh, right. just couldn't get traction. It could have been the sequel that was better. It was a spiritual successor to that device. It mm. did not get the respect it deserved and it died. I, so I love these podcasts and this is going to get me kicked off, but there's no fucking way that the Atari <laughs> Lynx is a sequel to the Game Boy. It's just, they're developed by two different groups of people. They were marketed by two different companies. They came out at almost the exact same time. A sequel has to come out sometime after the original. So oh, two months, I, two months later, two months <laughs> no, in, in the electronics world is nothing. Though. No, you're, you're right. I get what you're saying. As a follow up, those were competing products, not sequels and originals. Yeah, they, they ended up being, yeah, yeah. The Lynx deserves my love. So it's getting respect here from me. I, I, I'm not saying it's not the superior product. It is absolutely the superior product. I'll go with you on that as far as, you know, what it could have been. But mm-hmm. it's not a sequel. <laughs> in my world growing up as a kid, I saw the Game Boy for almost a year and a half before I heard about the Lynx. So I guess in my mind, it is a sequel to me that was way better. So that's my God, I'm using it. <laughs> that's okay. like saying that the Lincoln Town Car is a sequel to the Ford Mustang. That's They're completely, just because they're both cars, they, that doesn't make them a sequel, though. Uh, do you want to agree with you? I can agree with you. I'm still loving the links. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, George, lay on us what you have for a tech sequel that was superior to its originator. So, I actually have a true sequel, then, <laughs> as opposed to the fictitious, I want to talk about the Atari Lynx type of sequel. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> uh. So back in the day, there was a little company called Commodore and they came out with a couple of different computers that a lot of people around the world love. Some people hate, just depends on where you fall in the Commodore realm. Their first computer that they came out with was called the PET, Mm -hmm. P-E-T. It was a big hunky box that ended up in a bunch of 
terrible 70s and 80s movies <laughs> as a prop yeah because it looked like a computer because it looked like a good computer prop for governmental work or something sure. like that yeah. uh shortly thereafter they came out with another computer called the vic 20 which was pretty good a pretty solid it was cheap device it was cheap it was affordable you could put it in your home and you could actually do computer stuff on it everything was built into the keyboard mm-hmm. which was uh slightly different where the pet the whole monitoring keyboard and everything was all one unit use your tv set you had the keyboard board was the CPU and then you hooked it up to a monitor separately along with other peripherals. And that was a good system. But then Commodore decided to come out with another computer. This was called the C64, the granddaddy of all personal computers of that era. It Hmm. still to this day holds Guinness Book of World Records for the most sold units of computers or something like that I was seeing. I knew it was huge. Yeah, 17 million units sold or some crazy number like that. How much did that go for when it came out? Jeez, I'm trying to remember. It was like 199 or something, yeah, 249 something. Two, it wasn't crazy. I got mine for $200. My parents yeah. bought it for me for Christmas. It was my first computer home system. I had an Atari 2600, but that's just a cartridge a console, entertainment yeah. system. There's no programming or anything. Mm-hmm. This was the first system that I could do things with out of my own imagination. I could create my own bulletin board. I could program games. I could do graphics on this thing. It was by far superior to both the VIC-20 and the PET. It's not yeah. even close. And it was borne out in the praise and the sales figures and the longevity of the system. I had my Commodore 64 when I was in middle school, I think, and I still had it in college when I met John in the Star Trek club. <laughs> yep. And still used it. Not just in the closet, still used it. I, I was still using it. Yeah. And I sold it to one of our other Star Trek members. I wish I hadn't. I wish I had kept it because I don't have a C64 anymore, but far superior sequel to any of the predecessors before it. Yeah. I, I can only agree because I had a VIC-20. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Is, is how I got into computers, right? You could sure. actually code on it. And, and those days, you really had to learn about how computers worked. I mean, you had yeah. 2K of RAM or whatever, and you had to really understand that stuff. But then the 64 came out, and it wasn't even like a small leap. It was a huge leap from the VIC-20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight times the RAM, you know, went all the way to like 16. Wee! You know, or something <laughs> crazy. But still, though, the VIC-20, I think, was more of a hobby computer. I think the Commodore 64 was a real computer. It was a computer computer. Oh, it was yeah. a computer right. computer. Yeah. Right. I mean, we all know the reason we wanted that computer was to play games on. However, yeah. on the sly taught us programming, taught us productivity. It taught us all the things you can do with a computer. They went, oh, computers can be more than, you know, help me shoot bad guys on a screen. I can use this as a tool. And the C64, much like my beloved 8-bit around the same time, they were competitors in that era. Same idea, you know, similar capacity. And they really opened your eyes to what you could do. And the C64, yeah. Once the C64 came out, nobody was chomping at the bit for a VIC-20. Nobody cared. No. Yeah. I mean, it was first thing I hooked a modem up to, which allowed me to hooked to another computer yeah <laughs> pre-internet you know i mean it, there were so many firsts that that system had over the other systems pet first commodore computer that's you know we don't get to c64 without the pet vic 20 first one that could accept like the tape systems mm-hmm. and all that kind of sure. stuff yeah you don't get to the c64 without that evolutionary step but 
there's no question in my mind, much like Galaga over Galaxian, that the C64 is just far superior as a sequel to anything that Commodore yeah. had put out before that. Yeah, for sure. No debate here. All right. I think that is a great place to button it up. You crushed my dreams with my links, but we all agree with you on your C64. <laughs> it, was, it was inevitable that we would call somebody to call bullshit on somebody's pick. That was okay. I'm fine with it. <laughs> but I loved your pick. Way to go. See, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm not bitter. <laughs> you got to talk about your links, right? I did. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much, guys. This has been so much fun. Yeah. I think we're going to wrap it up at this point, looking back on these sequels and follow-ups that are superior to the original. Before we leave, though, I'd like to take just a second to give thanks. A new and notable supporter, Tony Rio, joined us over on YouTube. Oh, okay. That little join ah. button, you click down by subscribe, $2.99 a month. That helps us out every single month to support what we do and kind of bankroll the things we buy to review and the parts that we get and the gear that we have to pick up. Uh, really appreciate you. Now, Tony supports us in lots of other places. He's actually also a patron, so he's double dipping for us. Wow. Thank you so much, Tony. What well, we love that you joined us over there. You get those little emojis and emoticons and the kind of icon next to your name that shows you're one of our supporters. Uh, we really appreciate you and everyone who uh, pledges your support financially for the things that we do. That then is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Backtrack. We'll be back in two weeks, of course, with another one, but next week with a regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. Fourth listener, it's you, though. We all appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Coming your way September 30th. Dot, dot, dot. How do I end that? <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> miss it usually? Yeah, yeah, miss yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.